Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that we are a child. We are children of the King, of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great sacrifice that he made for us. Church family, the scripture says in Romans chapter 8, I love this passage, I just want to read it to you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword? Paul's saying anything in the universe? The answer is no, for it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And here's where I'm going this, where I'm going with reading this text. Verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says that we are more than conquerors. The Greek word is hupernikeo. It means to gain a surpassing and decisive victory. That's our King Jesus. He has gained a victory through the cross that as we believe in him, we trust in him, we follow him, we get led in that triumphal procession of victory. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, that we are more than conquerors, Lord. Because, Lord, not, not, not in and of ourselves, Lord, but because you are the conquering king. And that's what we're looking at this morning. God, open our hearts, fillet our hearts with the truth of your word, Lord. Let us see you in a fresh new way, Father, as the conquering king who defeated death, hell, and the grave and leads us in triumphal procession. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and Paul will bring you a Bible. And as always, if you don't have a Bible, that's yours to keep. Take it home. Take it home. Um, wow, what a week. A lot of things happening, a lot of great things taking place um, in our fellowship and in our church. And uh, last week I announced to you guys, hey, I'm going to do Ephesians chapter 4 in a four-part series. Well, it, it got changed this week. It's going to be a five-part series. I was going to teach verses 7 through 16, Jesus, our conquering king, who gives gifts. But I got through verse 10, uh, verses 7, 8, 9, four verses. I had five pages of notes, and I said, I can't go any further than this. But there's so much here in these few verses that I do not want to pass over it, and I don't want you to miss out on the truth of God's word. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, John MacArthur, I love his, his, his saying, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. But I love the deep 
rich study of the word. And what I've discovered about myself this week is I'm, I'm becoming a word guy. I see these words in the text, and I want to break out my Vines dictionary, and I want to study and cross-reference. And it just I hope, you, I hope this morning that you are as blessed by this study as I was this week because it just brought new fire, brought new passion. So, question for you this morning. When you hear the word Jesus, what do you think of? We think Lord. We think God. We think Messiah. We think um, the Lamb of God who gave himself at Calvary. But how about this phrase this morning I want to present to you? And this is where I'm going this morning. How about this? The conquering king. When you think about conquering king, the conquering king, what comes to your mind? What, what, what comes to your mind? I think of a conquering king, I think, is one who, who overthrows the enemy. He overthrows the enemy. He triumphs in his mission. Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. We like that. We like those kind of phrases. And ladies, you do too. We like to triumph in our mission. We think, when we think conquering king, we think about a, a king that brings his enemies to his knees. And he rules and he reigns. Where I'm going this morning is this. I'm presenting to you this morning in verses 7 through 10 that Jesus is our conquering king. And he does three things in this text. He's our faithful God. He defeated the forces of darkness. And he is exalted. He is exalted. That's where we're going this morning. The conquering king, faithful God, defeated the forces of darkness. And he is exalted. So let's take a look at verses 7 and 8. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 7, we're going through verse 10 this morning. The Apostle Paul says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In verse 8, therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Paul here, the Apostle Paul is, quote, is quoting here, He's quoting Psalms 68, 18. Psalm 68 is a victory psalm. It's a psalm from when David went into Jerusalem and conquered Jerusalem and defeated the Jezebites. They, they captured Jerusalem. You can find this, the, the record of this in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and 7 and 1 Chronicle 13. But it's when David took control of Jerusalem and defeated the Jezebites that were inhabiting the city. It was a victory march into Jerusalem. This victory march, what they would do in these victory marches is they would, um, they would parade the prisoners, showing who is the conquering king. And not only would they par parade the prisoners, but they would also, a conquering king, when he went somewhere to conquer a city, he would take back his captives, his troops, his men that were taken captive, he would take them back. And he and bring them into the city before releasing them. The purpose of this triumphal procession was to show who conquered who. It was to show who is victorious. And Paul is reaching back to Psalm 68. And not only you could say, well, Psalm 68, 18, it's a prophecy of Jesus. Amen and amen. And it is. It's a prophecy pointing to but it's also Paul is bringing home to the Ephesians and to us this morning that Jesus is the conquering king of Psalms 68. 
He, he is the conquering king. He's applying. He, he, it's a prophecy pointing to Jesus, but the apostle Paul is also applying what is written in verse 8 to Jesus. He's saying this, Jesus is the conquering king. Conquering king, he's the mighty warrior, he's the victorious king. Why? Because look at verse 8. Because it says, when he ascended on high, he did two things. They start with he. The first one is, he led captive a host of captives. And then it says, and he gave gifts to men. So Jesus is our conquering king. By what he did at the cross, by his descent to this earth, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, by you and I receiving him as our Lord and Savior and him coming into our life, we get to partake in this triumphal procession. Look at verse 9. Paul's going to dive into this subject here. Um, and this is going to get deep this morning. This is going to get deep. If, if, if you went and purchased a book on uh, Bible difficulties or challenging passages of the Bible, you will no doubt find this passage. There's multiple interpretations of Christ's descent. We're going to look at several places in Scripture. But this is a very challenging passage. Look at verse 9. He's going to explain uh, what he's saying. Verse 9. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. What does that mean? Okay, in the immediate context of Ephesians chapter 4, I believe the Apostle Paul is referring to the incarnation of Christ. He's just simply referring to the incarnation of Christ because he's talking about Jesus is going to ascend on high and he's going to fill the universe. He's going to give gifts to men. It's talking about Jesus coming from heaven to earth and then going even deeper from the earth into the tomb. Now, I told you in the opening of my sermon, you know, I'm beginning to become a word guy, studying words and studying meanings. But the, 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 the phrase in verse 9 that kept capturing my thought in my studies this week was, he descended. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Bring up the Apostles' Creed. The, uh, the earliest known creed of the church is the Apostles' Creed. It was created 2nd, 3rd century. This is the earliest known creed that the church created. Let's read it. Let's look at it. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. And here, right here, it says, he descended to the dead. I was like, okay, i got to dig into this. i got to find out what is this talking about. Now, the Apostles' Creed was changed in the Middle Ages. In the early church, if you go back and research it, the earliest known manuscripts of the Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell, is what they say. But over time, they've changed it. Some versions, some versions of it say he descended to the dead. Some versions say uh, he descended into darkness. We sing that song sometimes, the Apostles' Creed. And we talk about he descended into darkness. So that's where I was going this week. That's where I was researching. And what does the Bible say about this subject? You know, looking at systematic theology. Systematic theology is taking everything the Bible says on the subject and forming your theology. And not just going with one passage, but going with all the passages. This descent, what is it? Several things I believe that I want to present to you this morning. First off, 
this descent is this. Jesus was on a mission to fulfill a promise. Back at verse 9, it says, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. In verse 8, I'm sorry, back at verse 8, it says, he led captive a host of captives. It's past tense. He led captive. Something happened there at the cross. Something happened there at that weekend where he led captive a host of captives. Now, part of a military conquest was to bring people back. People that had been taken prisoner, the conquering king goes in, he liberates his people, and he brings them back. I want to present to you this morning what I believe in Christ fulfilling this promise. I believe it was to the Old Testament saints. I believe that Jesus descended at the cross that weekend. Not to hell. I do not believe he went to hell. But I believe he went to Sheol. I believe he went to Abraham's bosom. To announce his victory to the Old Testament saints. To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Based on the Old Testament understanding of paradise, in Luke chapter 16, the story of Abraham's bosom, the two chasms. Y'all familiar with that passage? Paradise would be at Abraham's side, a place of comfort and rest for the righteous dead, which Jesus calls here paradise. Following Jesus' death on the cross for sin, I believe Jesus journeys to Hades, the city of death, and he rips off the gates of Hades, of Sheol, of where the righteous were. He liberates Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, uh, John the Baptist, and the rest of the Old Testament faithful. The captives were taken to heaven by the conquering king. Now, David, where is that at in the Bible? That's the first question I asked myself as the conclusion I was coming to. These Old Testament saints, you need to understand this, they were given a promise. And they believed the promises of God. They believed the scripture the same way that you and I should believe the scripture. Literally, straightforward, the promises of God. It says what it says. Let me read to you and present to you this morning some of the Old Testament promises to the saints. And they should come up on the screen. They were given a promise and they believed. Number one, Psalms 49, 15. This was a promise given to them. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. That was written to the Old Testament saints. They would be redeemed, their soul would be redeemed from the power of Sheol. They believed that promise. That's not enough. Psalms 86, 13. For your loving kindness towards me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. There's this theology, there's this belief that they would go to paradise, to Abraham's bosom, to this place of rest. You know, and it makes sense because they were looking for, you know, they had to sacrifice the sacrificial system for, for their, um, the temple sacrifices that would cover their sin. But I believe ultimately 
they were looking forward to the supreme sacrifice of the future coming Messiah. Um, let's look at another one. Psalms 89, 48. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? So there was this belief that, that they would be delivered from, the text says in, in your Bibles, from the power of Sheol. What do I see in here? I see Jesus, our conquering king. Oh, this is so beautiful. I was just like, oh, God, you're awesome. Jesus is the faithful God to the Old Testament saints. He is the one they look forward to. They looked forward to the Messiah through the eyes of Scripture. They looked forward by faith. We, through the eyes of Scripture, look back at what the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our eyes are on him today because he's at the right hand of the Father. But for our salvation, we look back to Calvary. They were looking forward to it. Uh, you're all familiar with Hebrews chapter 11. I started to list all the names, but you can go count them for yourself. I was going to recite them. But in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the hall of faith, there are 16 names of saints. Hebrews chapter 11 lists 16 Old Testament names. And, it said, and this is what it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. In other words, by faith Abraham, by faith David, by faith Rahab. It is, that's, what, that's the phrase that it says throughout Hebrews chapter 11. But take a look at Hebrews 11.39 up on the screen. After it lists all these saints by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, they did these conquering and great things, look at what Hebrews ends with. Hebrews 11.39, for all these Having gained approval through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. They did not receive what was promised. What was promised was their God, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to redeem them. Their, their promise, their reward was seeing their God face to face. Can you imagine what it was like in Abraham's bosom? Go home for yourself and study Luke chapter 16. And study Abraham's bosom. Can you imagine what it was like? To see, to be there. Maybe they knew what was going on on earth. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what would it have been like to see the Lord Jesus Christ descending down to Sheol, Abraham's bosom, and liberating the captives? Man, it would have been a rocking party. It would have been like, yeah, that's my Jesus. That's the Son of God. Hey, guys, this is the one that Psalms 22 talked about. This is the one that Isaiah 51 prophesied. Here's the Messiah. That's what it was, it was like for them. He was the faithful God to the Old Testament saints. He was faithful to them, and he'll be faithful to you. You and I, we're flesh and blood, just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're living our lives. We're married. We have children. We're working. We're doing our life. But we're just like them, and God will be faithful to us. Look back at verse 8. Some people, and, and I, I agree with them, in the immediate context, and, and I'm going to go further in this, in the immediate context of Ephesians 4, I believe he's, he's talking about just the descent to the earth and then his, his, his ascension back. But at verse 8 again, it says, he led captive a host of captives. In other words, that, that word is past tense. It, it happened, 
but he led. It, it happened. It happened back then. There was a host of captives that, that was liberated, that was freed. I believe in his death and his resurrection, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're enjoying the fruits of heaven right now in the presence of God, in the new Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city. So there it is. There's our conquering king. Jesus has died on the cross, and uh, he's, he's liberated, fulfilled a promise to the Old Testament saints. But I believe he makes a second stop. And this one, boy, this one's this one's wonderful passage. This is one of the passages that, that you'll find in um, one of those books that talks about challenging Bible verses to interpret. But it, We'll bring it up on the screen so you don't have to turn there. This, his second stop is in 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 says this. For Christ also died for our sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 19. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. The word says what the word says. And notice uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was deity. He was flesh. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. You know, we call it the hypostatic union. He, he was the, the, the complete God-man. But in his deity... His deity did not die at the cross. If you look at verse 18, but was made alive in the spirit. In the NASB, the spirit is lowercase. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, he's talking about the deity of Jesus, the, the eternal God part of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he says, in which he also went and made a proclamation. Um, there's some, if you, if you go out and read commentaries and, and, and research it, there's some people believe he preached the spirits. There's some people believe that he preached the spirits of people. But you really have a very difficult time saying that he preached to the spirits of people. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed once a man to die and then judgment. There's no second chance. There is no, that's taught nowhere in scripture. But, he also, he, but I believe the spirits are the demons. The demons. Which he also went and made a proclamation. That word proclamation is a very important word in the text. He did not go to preach the gospel. He, he, he made this, after he liberated the saints, he went and he made this proclamation. This proclamation to the spirits now in prison, the demons. He, what, what was this proclamation? Man, I got goosebumps studying this this week. He made a proclamation that the demons and the powers of hell are defeated. They are defeated. They are stripped of their power. And they are rendered powerless through Jesus, through the cross. So he made a proclamation to the forces of darkness, to, to, to the demonics, and said, you are stripped of your power. That's what Peter said. Now let's look at what Paul said in Colossians 2.15. I believe he's making reference to this, Colossians 2.15. It says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having, here's that word, triumphed over them through him. Our conquering king, the Lord Jesus Christ, he defeated the forces of darkness through his death at Calvary. 
what took place on that hill of Golgotha 2,000 years rendered Satan powerless. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, he stripped him of his power through the blood of Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, now it doesn't mean we're not going to have struggles. doesn't mean we're not going to have battles. You and I still live in a fallen world. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we will have the victory. Because Jesus has disarmed the powers of darkness. And all, <clears throat> all that you and I have to do is repent and believe. That's only a question that you can ask yourself. I can't look in your heart. You can't look in my heart. But have you repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you if you've, if you've become religious or affiliated or, 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 or confirmed or whatever. But have you said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I have blown it and I violated your law. And I put, but now, Lord, I turn and I put my trust in you, Lord God. And I invite you to come down and live inside my heart. When you do that, you get to follow the conquering king in victory. Not to say life won't be perfect. Not to say you won't have trials and tribulations. I mean, they, they crucified the son of God. I mean, you look at the disciples and, and what happened to them. They were all martyred for their faith except one, John. John died of old age. The rest of them died for their faith. doesn't mean we won't have difficulties, but we will follow in the triumphal procession of Christ when we put our trust in him, and we can live in this victory. We can do that by simply receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what we offer people. Jesus, our conquering king, to the Old Testament saints and to us, this, the first two we've looked at, he is a faithful God. He was a faithful God to the Old Testament saints. He will be a faithful God to you as you trust in him. And, and you just, Jesus, I love you. I trust you. There's nothing he won't carry you through. There's no difficulty. He won't um, uphold you and undergird you and take you through in your darkest hour. He is a faithful God. And we see in the text, Colossians 2.15, 1 Peter 3.18, that he defeated the forces of darkness. He is our conquering king. And the final thing I want to look at in verse 10 is the third one. The Lord Jesus Christ is exalted. We were talking in men's Bible study, I think it was Wednesday night, I think we were talking about, about the name of God and, and, and keeping it holy because he is exalted. His name is the name that is above every name. He is the one in Acts uh, chapter 1 the disciples were looking on, and it says he was taken up out of their sight, and a cloud hid him. And they said, you men of Galilee, why are you, stand, why are you here staring? This same Jesus that was taken up will come back in like manner. He is exalted to the highest heaven and has the name that is above every name. Let's look at it, verse 10. Verse 10 of our conquering king, your conquering Jesus, my conquering Jesus. It says, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. Jesus Christ 
is, based on this verse, our, now we're going to add a word to it, our exalted, our exalted conquering king. He said, let's look at, let's break it down. It says, he who descended is himself, talking about Jesus, also is he, it says, who ascended far above all the heavens. The Lord Jesus Christ today is seated at the right hand of the Father in a place called the third heaven. The third heaven, the new Jerusalem, the holy city. You want to, you want to learn about this place called heaven? Turn in your Bible. You don't have to turn there. You make a note. You can study it this afternoon. But John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place. He's in this place called heaven. The apostle Paul was dragged out of Iconium. He was stoned. They thought he was dead. And he writes about it later in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 2. And he says, I know a man, uh, he refers to himself as a man in Christ who was caught up. And he says it in the text, to the third heaven. You want to further look at the, um, the, the layout of this place called heaven. Make a note, Revelations chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, I believe it's verses 10 through 21, describes this place that he has ascended to. He has left planet Earth. The Bible, te- the Bible teaches three heavens, the atmosphere around our Earth, the universe, endless in every direction, and then there's this place called the third heaven that Paul was called up to. That's where our exalted, conquering king is. And then he says there, uh, who ascended far above all the heavens, so that, I love this phrase, that he might fill all things. That he might fill all things. This phrase is a, um, is a statement of authority. It's a statement of authority. And it, basically it means this, that Jesus rules his church. Ultimately, Jesus rules his church. Not the pastor, not the elders, but the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. It also refers to Jesus he is the ruler of the universe. He rules Saturn, Mars, Venus, the Andromeda Galaxy. He rules it all. He rules and reigns over everything, our exalted conquering king. He rules it all. As I was thinking about this this, this week, thinking about Jesus, our, our, exalted, our exalted conquering king, the thing that came to my mind was this. One day, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. Therefore, God, the, the Father, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's like this. You and I, the whole, the whole planet, all 6.8 billion people, we're all on a train. We're on a destination. You are on a destination. Some of you guys are in college. Some of you are making a career. Some of you are doing this. Some of you are doing that. But you're ultimately on a train. And when that train gets to the end, the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess there's not going to be no vote. There's not, it's not going to be an option. Every knee is going to bow. And our job as Christians in this lifetime is to convince people, please bow now. Bow now. 
please bow your knee to the conquering king and confess him as your Lord and Savior. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to show you grace. He wants to show you mercy. But ultimately, whether you accept or not, one day you're not going to have a choice. You, you, you will bow. You will, you will bow before the king. Do it in this life now so you can be in the right line and not the wrong line. <laughs> Amen? I close with these thoughts. The, the exalted king, the conquering king. Paul prefaces this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 with um, this Old Testament verse from Psalm 68 to put it in the context that Jesus is the conquering king. He is what the Old Testament pointed to. He, that what happened with King David taking Jerusalem and conquering the Jezebites and they would take their triumphal procession into Israel, up to Jerusalem, up to Mount Zion. It was ultimately a picture of the future Messiah and what the Messiah would do. Have you bowed to the conquering king? What does that, what does that look like, Pastor David? Have I bowed to the conquering king? Have you given your heart to him? Have you given your heart to him? It starts right there, guys. It starts right there. Um, that's, that's the message that we present. It, it, it's bow to the conquering king and surrender your life. Say, conquering king, you've got this. I hope this morning that this message has brought into your mind, into your heart, a fresh picture in your walk of faith of who Jesus is. Jesus is the conquering king. And for everyone who came this morning, looking forward to us diving into the gifts, uh, we will get there next Sunday. Because if you go back and you look at um, verse 8, we're going to look at this. The verse 8, it says, when he ascended on high, we talked this morning about he led captives, a host of captives. Next week, we'll talk about the second half of this Old Testament prophecy. He gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. He gives us gifts. And we're going to dive into that. And I'm going to bring in uh, the other passages of Scripture on, on the gifts. And we're going to look at the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us today to edify the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, that you are the conquering king, that you rule and reign from heaven above. Lord, let us whatever situation your people may find themselves in this morning, I pray, Lord, that these words have encouraged hearts, lifted people up, and they're able to take their eyes off of the difficulty they're facing and put their eyes on you, the conquering king. Lord, let that resonate in our hearts. Let that liberate us. Let that liberate us this morning to follow you, our conquering king, and, and for the gifts that we're going to see in your word that you give us. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we magnify you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.